Well, if you have your copy of God's Word there with you, I want to encourage you to take it and be finding your place in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. For the past two or three weeks, we've been in a series on the home and the priority of the relationships within the area of marriage and the family. And within the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes the church as being a temple for the Holy Spirit. Uh, In Ephesians, he says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles as well as the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Um, In the opening chapter of Ephesians, Paul says that believers have been given unsearchable riches in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that vast wealth has been deposited into our account and is accessible to us. We're able to draw upon this wealth as we live our lives, as we walk by faith as believers. And so it's important that we understand that, especially as it pertains to the area of relationships within the home. Uh, the relationship that exists between uh, wives and husbands and husbands and wives In chapter 6, the Apostle Paul deals with the relationships that children are to have to parents and parents are to have to children. So like most of his letters, uh, the first part of Ephesians is doctrinal. The first three chapters, he deals with this foundational truth that we have to know um, because it informs the way that we live our life practically. And so the second half of Ephesians is very practical. Um, and we inherit spiritual wealth. Well, in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul says we're to invest that spiritual wealth by obedient living. And we draw on the resources we've been given in Christ. In the Holy Spirit who lives within us as believers, we draw on this wealth as we seek to build godly homes. And so last week, we looked at what this passage has to say about wives, and we dealt with the principle of submission. Well, this morning, I want us to look at what this uh, this passage has to say, in particular, to husbands. And you will notice in Ephesians chapter 5 that there are at least three times as many verses devoted to the husband's role uh, than the wife's. So men... It's your turn this morning, okay? Uh, Ladies, I preached to them last week, and guys, I'm gonna flat preach to you this morning. So I want you to look with me at what the Apostle Paul writes, uh, really beginning in verse number 25 uh, here in Ephesians chapter five. Uh, He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
And notice verse 32 says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage itself, the relationship that exists between a husband and wife is a visible picture of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his bride, the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want to continue really preaching from this thought this morning, marriage matters. Uh, And the verses that deal specifically with the way that husbands are to love their wives. In fact, this perhaps is the key phrase in these verses. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now he says that in verse 25, and for the next several verses, he elaborates exactly on what that means and what it looks like. But I mean, what a mouthful of a statement that is when you think about it. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The love that a husband is to have for his wife and show to his wife is to be patterned after the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. Someone who's written so much in the area of marriage, uh, parenting, it's Dr. D- Dr. James Dobson with Focus on the Family. But 40 years ago, Dr. Dobson said this, He said, the Western world stands at a crossroads in its history. It's my opinion that our very survival as a people will depend upon the presence or absence of masculine leadership in millions of homes. I believe with everything within me that husbands hold the keys to the preservation of the family. Now, folks, that was a generation ago that he made that statement. And when we look around at the current landscape in our society, we can't help but see that so much of today's crisis stems from an absence of men exercising godly leadership within the home, within the church, and within society itself. I'll tell you someone else who's written much in the area of men's ministry and men's issues, that's Patrick Morley. Uh, Patrick Morley wrote a book, I read this some time ago, called Pastoring Men. And in this book, in the introduction to the book, he deals with what he calls the men problem. He says, much has been made about the men problem. School teachers can barely educate on the heels of it. Social services are overwhelmed because of it. Employers are stumped by it. Law enforcement feels the brunt of it. Many jails and prisons are full because of it. Politicians don't know what to do with it. Authors and academics have assembled alarming statistics to prove it. Healthcare professionals publish reports to document the cost of it. Movies glamorize it. TV commercials mock it. Divorce courts are at capacity because of it. Families are ripped apart by it. Wives soak their pillows with tears as a result of it. Children grow up in poverty as a consequence of it. Teenagers experiment with drugs and sex to cope with it. And a lot of money gets spent to treat the symptoms of the man problem every year in American society. What a powerful paragraph that really is. And you know, the thing is, so much of what we hear as far as solutions to so much of society's ills 
does deal with just symptoms. But folks, the gospel doesn't deal with just surface issues and symptoms. It deals with the root cause of the issue, and it's a heart issue. Uh, I read back in, where in 2014, males accounted for 73% of all arrests in the United States. 80% of those arrested for violent crimes were men. Prison population statistics tells a similar story. Males accounted for 93% of U.S. prisoners in 2014. And more than half of all homicides in 2014 were committed by 15 to 29-year-olds who only made up of 20% of the population. So the man problem. Notice in this passage that the Apostle Paul is speaking directly to men and the responsibility that lies on their shoulders as husbands. And then later on in chapter 6, the responsibility that lies on their shoulders as fathers. As go the men, so goes society. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then for the next several verses, he goes on to show how uh, men and the depravity of man is so responsible for the, the unraveling of human society in this broken world in which we live. So the biblical idea of manhood is something totally different than what the world around us says. You know, Jesus is the perfect man. Um, one of the doctrines of Christian theology is, is what's called the hypostatic union, which simply means that Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. He's not 50% God and 50% man. No, he's fully God and yet he's also fully man. And so it's the, it's the Lord Jesus Christ and the example of Christ to whom Paul appeals here in this passage as he calls upon husbands to love their wives. Men, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so really within these verses, uh, you'll notice with me that there's a priority to be kept, there's a pattern to be followed, and there's a picture to be presented. So notice to begin with a priority that's to be kept. And that priority is seen there in verse 25 as the apostle says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means that husbands are to love their wives there within the marriage relationship, within the context of the home. Uh, husbands must love their wives in a sacrificial, selfless way just as Jesus Christ loved the church. I know that word love is a word that gets thrown around a lot in our English language. In fact, there may be no word in English that's more misused and misunderstood than the word love. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul defines this word for us and applies it to the marriage relationship. The word that he uses there in the verse, it's the verb form of agape, which is unconditional love. It's, it's, it's the love uh, that's volitional, not simply emotional. I know that you've heard this before, but in ancient Greek thought, the Greeks had at least four different words to express the meaning of love. Uh, you had eros, that was a word that 
referred to romantic love, physical love. Um, You had phileo, which was the Greek word that expressed the love of friendship, brotherly love. Uh, Think of the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Comes from that Greek word phileo. Storge, this was a word that was used to express uh, familial love like that of a parent for a child. And then there was the word agape, agape love. Agape love is volitional love involving the will. It's the love of sacrifice. You know, in the world around us, what generally passes as love is the eros, love of romance and passion. But it's a word that's based strictly on desire. Uh, it's, it, it wants something. Uh, that's the kind of love that's celebrated by the world, the kind that's selfish in nature. That's not to say that there isn't physical attraction between husbands and wives, but you know that the love that we have for our spouse is so much deeper than that. But of all these words in the New Testament, only two of those words are used in in New Testament Greek, phileo uh, and agape. And it comes as no surprise to you to learn that agape is the love of God. When the Bible talks about the love that God has for his people, it speaks of agape love, unconditional love, a committed, surrendered type of love, a covenant love. So this is the type of love that the Apostle Paul is describing here in Ephesians chapter five when he says that husbands are to agape. They're to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Let me tell you what this means. It means it's not something that's passive, but something that is active and deliberate. It's not simply something that's emotional, but it's volitional. Obviously, emotions are involved, but love is so much more than just an emotion that a person feels. A lot of times we talk about falling in and falling out of love, but folks, before it's an emotion, it's a choice involving the will. That's what the Apostle Paul is describing here. It's a verb, deliberate, intentional action. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And a husband's to communicate his love for his wife, not simply through words that express an emotion that he feels, but through actions that he does. You think about the way that Christ loved his church, the way that God in Christ demonstrated his love for fallen humanity. It wasn't just simply expressed uh, through an emotion that he felt, but God's love for humanity compelled him to selfless action. And that selfless action was God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself as Christ died for our sins upon the cross. You know, our emotions fluctuate with circumstances. My emotions are the most shallow part of me. I can be on an emotional high one minute and I can be in an emotional valley the next minute and you can ride the emotional roller coaster of your life. But the love that's being described here is love of the will, agape love. This is the same word, the same verb that's used in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world And notice how he was compelled to action, that he sent his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
It's also the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 22 when he talks about the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said these are the two greatest commandments. Love God with all that you are, agape, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you think about what's going on in our world, all of the civil unrest and all of this kind of stuff. And folks, it just goes right back to breaking those two simple commandments, a failure to love God with all of the heart, soul, mind, strength, and a failure to love one's neighbor. So that tells me something. That tells me there is something fundamentally wrong in the human heart. And we know the Bible tells us it's sin, it's brokenness. Left up to ourselves, we can't love others the way that God has loved us. We've got to have something supernatural happen to us. There's got to be something by way of change that's taken place in our heart. This is exactly why Galatians chapter five says that the fruit of the Spirit that which is produced by the spirit in the human heart in a person's life, is it's love, agape. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on and so on. So again, that's very significant when you consider the fact that these commands that are given in Ephesians chapter five are within the context of the spirit-filled life. You go back up, I mentioned this last week, but you go back up in Ephesians chapter five where Paul says in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, don't be controlled by an outside substance, but be filled with the spirit. And the way that a person is filled with the spirit, how, do you get, how are you filled with the spirit? You yield your life to the spirit's control as a believer. You fill your mind with the truth of God's word and you rely upon the spirit, uh, the life of God within you to direct you, to empower you, to fill you, control you. Now you take that and you apply it to the marriage relationship. If you're relying upon human love and human strength to get through marital strife, let me tell you, you won't ever do it. But when you die to yourself and you live in the power of another, the one who's come to take up residence within you as a believer. It's the Holy Spirit who produces within you the kind of love that your spouse needs. And it's a love that's focused on giving. Not simply receiving, but it's focused on giving. So that's a priority then that the Apostle Paul mentions. But then notice number two, there's a pattern to be followed. A priority to be kept, that's followed up with a pattern to be followed. And the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the pattern then that a husband is to follow is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's the pattern. You want to know what selfless, sacrificial love looks like up close? Then look no further than the selfless way that Jesus Christ loved the church. What kind of pattern is it? Well, it's a pattern of sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And notice, he gave himself up for her. It's the idea of sacrifice. 
It's the mind of Christ that's expressed in Philippians chapter two. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How many marriages struggle simply because of a husband or wife doing something from selfish ambition or conceit? How many relationships uh, struggle and, 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 and they're, they're on the rocks simply because of selfishness on one or both parties involved? Rather than thinking about the other, they think only of self. And the enemy comes along and that's exactly how the enemy wants you and me to live our lives. He tempts us in the area of our flesh and wants us to give in to self-interest and selfishness and that kind of thing. Then sometimes we wanna, we wanna barter in our relationships. Husbands and wives often wanna say, well, I did the dishes so you should bathe the kids. Uh, you went out with your friends last week, it's my turn tonight. You bought that outfit, I'm gonna go ahead and buy these tickets to this, this game or whatever. They keep score. But see, agape love doesn't keep score. It doesn't matter how your spouse responds. If you wanna love the way that Jesus loves his bride, then you've got to put self aside. Agape love, it's love that gives, it's sacrificial, it doesn't demand its rights or hold on to its rights, but it has the good of the other person at heart. And this is the kind of love that the apostle's describing here. So it's a pattern of sacrifice, and then it's a pattern of sanctification. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You look at what he says in verse 26, that he might sanctify her. So Jesus has a purpose in mind for his bride. He has a purpose in mind for his church. He gave himself up in order to purchase her and sanctify her and present her to himself as a spotless bride. That word sanctify there uh, translates a Greek word, hagiazo, it means to make holy. It's this idea of setting apart something for a specific purpose. So. If you're a believer this morning, Jesus Christ has saved you and set you apart for a very specific purpose. You're in process this morning if you're a believer. All of us are at various stages in our spiritual growth. We're in process. We're works in progress. By the way, it's important you keep that in mind as you deal with relationships within the home. Sometimes we demand perfection from our spouse when in reality it's hard for us to keep in mind that all of us are works in progress. And God is sanctifying me, setting me apart. He's making me more and more like Jesus. So this pattern of sanctification then, uh, Jesus gave himself up for the church to make her holy. How does he do this? Paul goes on in verse 26 and says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So you wanna know what he's doing in my life and in your life right now? I'll tell you what, he's ironing out the wrinkles. 
God's using the pain of circumstances in life, all the craziness that's happening in our world, all of the stuff that you're dealing with in the context of your marriage, the context of your family, in your own home, God is using that for his own purposes. And if you're a believer, he's using it to change you and to make you more and more and more like Jesus. I read a great quote this week by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was talking about great faith. And he said that great, you can't have great faith without also having great trials. We tend to think, well, maybe our faith is strengthened on the mountaintop experiences of life. We, all of us want to live on the mountaintop, but it's down in the valley. That's where our faith is strengthened, and that's where our spiritual strength is forged and so that's what God does in the marriage relationship. He uses everything for this purpose of just conforming us, molding us, shaping us, sanctifying us more and more into the image of Jesus. So let me ask a question to those of you men who are husbands. And I want to ask you a question that perhaps you've never considered. But here's the question. Is your wife a better Christian because of you? You know, before she's your wife, she's your sister in Christ. And is she a better Christian because of you and the example that you put before her? I mean, what I mean is this. Do you have a sanctifying impact on her life? <laughs> Maybe in the area of patience, because you try her patience. But beyond that, do you have an impact on her life where, where her spiritual welfare where her growth as a person, this is something that you keep foremost in your thinking as her husband. Because if you're a Christian husband, that is your responsibility. Now let me tell you, here's what's happened in the church today. Often it's been the women in the home who've been setting the pace spiritually for the home because the men have checked out. Are you listening? We become so wrapped up in everything else in life, our careers, our hobbies, our sports, and all this other stuff that spiritual issues and spiritual matters, we just, we just let slip. And so on Sunday mornings, back when we were coming to church, it was mom who gets the kids up and get them ready for church. It's mom who sees to it that they have a devotional life. It's mom who sees to it that they're consistent. Well, dad's just along for the ride. Now, guys, I'm not picking on you this morning, but I'm just simply saying, oh, we've got some work to do in this area, don't we? And the process of making disciples means that, guys, we've got to lead the way. We've got to set the pace. So there's a pattern of sanctification here, and then there's a pattern of security. Because verse 28 says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. What is the church? The church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. He's our head. And so you think about the way that Christ loves his body. He nourishes it. He cares for it. He takes care of it. And, and, and that's what Paul is saying in this passage. As Jesus provides for his bride, so the husband is to provide for his bride, for his family. The idea is that he puts the needs of his wife above his own. You know, the way that a man treats his wife says a lot about his character and his integrity. 
And men who are insecure themselves in, on the inside, they bring nothing but misery and pain to their families. Often they'll be critical, fault-finding, suspicious. They'll lash out. They'll cause pain rather than speaking words of grace and compassion. And I know you've heard this before, but studies have shown that a woman's greatest need is security. A man's greatest need is respect. And that means, men, in order for you to have respect, you've got to be respectable. Your wife needs to know that she's safe, that she's provided for. It means that you put her above self. You put her above some interest you might have, some hobby you might have, friendships, those kinds of things. And so her security in the marriage relationship comes from knowledge of the fact that you love her as Christ loved the church. And that's something that we Christian men must demonstrate through action. Peter says something along these same lines. Keep your finger there in Ephesians 5. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3 for just a minute. You look at what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, when he says, likewise, Verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So how's a Christian man supposed to relate to his wife? Well, this verse, guys, Peter gives us at least three instructions. He says you need to be sensitive to her needs to begin with. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That means so much more than just sharing the same physical address. The idea is that a husband is to live in close proximity with his wife. You know, sometimes it's easy for husbands and wives to live under the same roof, but be miles apart mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And it's an easy thing for a man to substitute making a living for making a life. And there is a big, big difference. So husbands, he says, live with your wives. Be sensitive to her needs. And then he says, be understanding of her desires. He says, live with her in an understanding way. Literally, it says this, a husband is to live with his wife in a way that's according to knowledge. He's speaking of a deep and heartfelt understanding and appreciation for who she is as a unique person. It involves perceiving her most intimate desires, understanding her serious concerns. And oftentimes our wives can sense things and see things that we husbands are clueless about. And so you had better listen to her. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've bulldozed ahead in something and my wife Anita has told me and said that's probably not a good idea but I chose to do it anyway and I should have listened because I'm telling you it was the Holy Spirit speaking through her most times than not that's the case so live with your wife in an understanding way Peter says and then he says be appreciative of her value be sensitive to her needs be understanding of her desires be appreciative of her value he says, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So 
he's not referring to inferiority there when he talks about her being the weaker vessel. She's not weaker in character. She's not weaker in intelligence. The idea is that men often have a physical advantage over a woman because they're bigger, often stronger. And so Peter's saying, guys, don't throw your weight around in the relationship. So this is important that we do this because if not, Peter says, your prayer life will be hindered. Your spiritual progress can be greatly inhibited. So the relationships between husbands and wives, I'm telling you, it's so important that we're on the same page spiritually. So when you look at how the text says Christ loves the church, it's a remarkable thing. And husbands are to love their wives after the same pattern. Now let me show you one last thing before I close this morning, and it's this. There's a picture to be presented. You go back to Ephesians 5. There's a priority to be kept. There's a pattern to be followed, but there is a picture, a wonderful picture that is to be presented in the marriage relationship and the way that husbands love their wives. You look at what Paul says down in verse 31. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And he says, the two shall become one flesh. God has brought together in a marriage relationship two people with two different personalities from two differing backgrounds, two unique, wonderful people, a man and a woman, but God's brought them together and he's brought them in union with one another. And then Paul says that this is a mystery that's profound. He says, I'm, re- I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he reaches all the way back into Genesis chapter two to emphasize this union between husband and wife. A man leaves father and mother and he cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh. Back in 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, from a prison cell, he wrote a letter to a young bride and groom advising them on the union that they were about to enter. Now listen to this. This is what Bonhoeffer wrote to this young couple. He said, your love is your own private possession, but marriage is more than something personal. It's a status, an office. Just as it's the crown and not merely the will to rule that makes the king, so it is marriage and not merely your love for each other that joins you together in the sight of God and man. As you gave the ring to one another and have now received it a second time from the hand of a pastor, So love comes from you, but marriage from above, from God. As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promise of love. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. Now why is that important? I'll tell you why, because there are times in your life where you encounter conflict and you encounter difficulty and your emotions fluctuate with changing circumstances and listen I am I am not shocked in the least I've read reports that have come out you've read these reports you've perhaps heard this in the news that domestic abuse uh, under the circumstances of being locked in and quarantined at home over the last three months those kinds of cases have skyrocketed in our country 
We're in closer quarters now than we ever have been with those who are the most important people in our lives. And we're learning some things about each other. Maybe you're seeing some things that you didn't quite see before because of such a fast pace of life. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but it's the marriage that sustains your love. Because in marriage, two have become one flesh, and this is something that's come from God. What God has brought together, let not man put asunder. What God has brought together, don't let man monkey with, don't let man destroy it. And it's a profound mystery of Christ and his bride, the church. Now let me tell you, whether you're married or whether you're not, if you're a believer, you're a part of the bride of Christ. And there is an inseparable union that you have with your heavenly groomsman, the Lord Jesus Christ. And no amount of difficulty in life, no amount of failure in life, no amount of pain and strife in life, you're never going to be, that union between you and Jesus Christ, your faithful head, it's never going to be dissolved. He's bringing us through difficulty. He's ironing out all the wrinkles in the church. And one day, I'm telling you what, we're going to, we're going to attend a heavenly wedding as the bride is presented to the groom and for all of eternity, we're going to be with Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, there'll be no more COVID-19 and there'll be no more racism and there'll be no more division and there'll be no more hardships and fallout in society. Oh, but the bride of Christ made up of people from every nation, every color, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue are going to be in that number as we're presented to the King of Kings, our faithful head, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you see, your marriage as a Christian, man or woman, your marriage relationship, God intends for it to be a picture of Christ and the church, a gospel witness to the world around us. You know, we witness with our words. The gospel is a message of words that we're, declare, we de- we're to declare verbally but also in my life and in my marriage, there's to be a picture that's painted, that's presented to the world around me that points them to the hope of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me right there where you are? I wanna ask you a simple question this morning and that's this. Are you a member of the bride of Christ? Are you a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ as your faithful head? Do you know him personally? If not, then this morning, let me just call on you by faith and repentance, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. Confess your sin, repent, that means turn away from it, and cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, and he will. Believe that he died on the cross to save you from your sin, that he rose again from the dead. Surrender your life to him as Lord and Master. Let me tell you, he loves you. And he's not waiting for you to become a perfect person before he loves you. The Bible says when we were without strength, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus reached down into the mess of my life and he ransomed me. He purchased me for himself. He saved me. And he'll do the same for you. What about your marriage this morning? Guys, 
Are you loving your wife in a selfless, sacrificial way? The way that Christ loves the church. You don't have the strength to do it by yourself, but let me tell you, the Holy Spirit has come to live within you, to empower you to love her the way that God commands you to. And ladies, God, the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence in your heart to empower you to submit to the leadership of your husband there within the home. Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. My prayer this morning is that whatever decisions we need to make today, that there would be freedom in our hearts and lives to do that. God, we we devote our homes, we devote our families, we devote our marriages to you. May they be wonderful pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.